Friends, in a moment we will turn to God's word, and before we do that, we will pray. But before we pray, some words of preamble to today's reading. They have to do with evangelism. Evangelism is a big theme in the New Testament. It was Jesus' final instruction to his disciples, the great commission in Matthew. We read it every time we baptize. How Jesus said to his disciples, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The good news about Jesus Christ, you see, it isn't a secret. It was always meant to be shared, and that sharing of the gospel is evangelism. But evangelism is tricky. Evangelism is one of those church words that can kind of make us squirm. Many of us have had awkward experiences of evangelism, like crossing the street to avoid the preacher on the corner. Maybe you've pretended not to be home when the Jehovah's Witnesses are working your block. Or maybe you have tried to share your own faith only to find yourself becoming tongue-tied. Or maybe you've worried that you will sound crazy. Maybe you've worried that you would give offense. Evangelism is awkward. And what's more, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that evangelism has also been a part of some of the darkest chapters of our history. When Europeans first came to the Americas, for instance, when they came, they brought the gospel with them, and some lived peacefully alongside indigenous communities and shared the gospel with love and sensitivity. But that was not the rule. Any student of history can tell you that great violence was done by Christians in the name of Christ. In this and many other instances, when the gospel has traveled to new places, it has brought terrible companions. It has brought fear and oppression and violence in tow. And conversion by the sword is not good news. So these days, evangelism is an embattled term. As one theologian puts it, for many people in our world, both Christian and non-Christian, evangelism is neither welcomed nor warranted. The E-word has become a dirty word, an embarrassment to the Christian and an affront to the non-Christian. That's the situation we find ourselves in as we approach scripture today. And this scripture that we're about to read, it has a bold thread of evangelism running through it. But my hope is that a few of the hidden figures here might show us a way forward on this topic. So friends, let us pray. Loving God, by the power of your spirit, help us to approach your word. Remind us of those people whose stories we might not always notice. Show us how these hidden figures fit into your larger purpose and help us to hear and understand from their lives how you are calling us to live today. Amen. Our reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. This is the story of Philip, an early church leader, and his encounter with a stranger on the road. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk about Philip first. Philip was somebody used to the Lord's whisper. He knew the voice that told him to get up and go. Last time it had pushed him all the way from Jerusalem to Samaria, and there he had been able, by the power of God, to preach the word and to cast out demons and to heal people. By the end of that day in Samaria, Philip had baptized many Samaritan men and women. All of them had received the Holy Spirit, and Philip had found his calling. He was already a deacon in the Jerusalem church, but from that day forward, Philip would be an evangelist. He would follow God into the unknown and carry the story of Jesus farther than it had ever gone before. So when the angel of the Lord said, get up and go south to that road that runs to Gaza, you know the one, Philip the evangelist did not drag his feet. Philip trusted God, even though Gaza was a ghost town at the end of a rambling road, he got up and went. And then when he got there, he waited. He waited there in the dead quiet and the desert heat until a cloud of dust appeared on the horizon, a chariot approaching. And that was it. The spirit sounded like a starting pistol telling Philip to go now, run, catch up and join the person in that chariot. As Philip got closer, he could see this person and he could see 
that he was different from him. This person in the chariot was clearly rich and powerful from the clothes he wore to the scroll in his hand. That he had wealth and influence was clear. He was different in race and nationality from Philip. The kingdom of Ethiopia was nearly 1,500 miles away in what is now Sudan. Most of its people had darker skin than Philip. And living in Jerusalem, Philip would have seen a black person before. People traveled in the Roman world. But like others of his culture, Philip was likely to have seen this stranger as different from himself. So it might have been easier for Philip to stereotype than to understand. And on top of it all, he was a eunuch. Because we live many miles and centuries apart from the ancient Near East, this part of his identity is difficult for us to get. It needs some unpacking. In the ancient world, you see eunuchs were males who had undergone castration. So they were distinguished from others by this difference in their bodies. But they were also set apart by their ways of dressing and of speaking and of moving in the world. They had special roles in society. Kings and queens believed that eunuchs were the best people to have around their courts. They were the perfect servants perfectly loyal to the monarch because they had no family ties of their own. So they could be powerful without posing a threat. The Ethiopian eunuch was set apart for something special. But he couldn't help but feel that he'd been left out of something good. There was pain in his life and isolation. Most of all, he longed for a sense of meaning. He longed for God. Even though he wasn't an Israelite, he had felt himself drawn to the God of Israel, so much so that he had traveled all the way to Jerusalem just to worship in God's temple. Only once he arrived, because he was a Gentile and because he was a eunuch, he was not really allowed inside. By law, he could only go in so far he was on the outside looking in. And maybe he knew going in that it would be that way. Maybe he still wanted to get as close as he could. Still, it must have hurt. And as he started home in his chariot, I imagine him opening that scroll of Isaiah with mixed feelings. He was looking for comfort in scripture, but he was unsure what he would find. And that was the moment, that was the moment when Philip came running over. And I'm so interested in this moment between Philip and the, and the eunuch when they first met, they were such an unlikely pair. How on earth would they break the ice? But somehow Philip found his way to common ground. I heard Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? It was a question. Then the chariot slowed. Would there be a response? Kent Anon is a mission worker in Haiti, and he's described a moment like this in his book, Slow Kingdom Coming. You walk down a dirt path in a Haitian village and come to the edge of someone's yard called a laku. It's more than a yard. Much of life happens outside, washing clothes, repairing farm tools, cooking, eating. Walking directly into this space 
would be like barging into someone's front door in Pittsburgh. But there's no doorbell to ring or fence to knock on, so you stop at the edge and you call out, Hone, meaning honor. Saying this announces that you come to visit with honor for them. You're acknowledging their humility, their, sorry, their humanity, their dignity, their right of response. You're confirming that it's up to them whether you enter or not and on what terms. You stand and you wait. Respect, meaning respect, that's the word you wait to hear if you are invited in. It may come from someone squatting beside a plastic tub washing clothes or from someone walking up with a smile to greet you. Maybe it's someone you've never visited before and the person you're coming to see walks up without saying respect to inquire the reason for your visit. But respect will come if honor is there. Respect will come. After a moment, the Ethiopian eunuch answered Philip's question with one of his own. How can I understand, he asked, if no one will guide me? It was his way of saying, respect. When Philip hopped into the chariot, you see, it was by mutual invitation. And from there, the gospel could unfold. There is a painting by the Austrian artist Herbert Beckel that illustrates what happened next. And as I've been preparing for today, this painting has become a kind of icon for me. An icon is an image that points beyond itself to a higher truth. And I think this image, together with this story from Scripture, may point us toward a vision for evangelism, for sharing the good news. I invite you to take a look at it as we go on. So... Just as the spirit had prompted him, Philip hopped into the chariot. You can see him in the back there. He didn't jump into a 30-second elevator pitch for the gospel, but he met the eunuch right where he was on the chariot seat in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. This chapter is one of the prophet Isaiah's servant songs. As Christians, we associate them with Jesus. But when I hear these words, I can't help but think that the eunuch was seeing himself, the perfect servant, the servant who had suffered, but was alone in his suffering. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, says Isaiah. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. I think that when the eunuch asked Philip, who is this about? I think he really wanted to know, could this have something to do with me? Does God have a place for me in God's story? And the thing is, Philip met him right there. Not only in Isaiah 53, but he met him in the vulnerable experience it represented for him. And Philip came close to the eunuch. And out of that place of pain, Philip began to preach the gospel. That was no small thing. Usually, when the apostles preached, they started with Genesis. And they they traced the pattern of promise and fulfillment all the way from Abraham to Jesus Christ. They liked to start at the beginning. But Philip did not insist on using an old sermon. He took his cues from the one who was sitting so close beside him. 
And friends, that is how Jesus came into this conversation. I love the way this painting shows his presence. Do you see it? It's in those letters, I, H, and S. That's an abbreviation of Jesus' name. Right in between these two people, Jesus was there. It was Jesus' name on Philip's lips. It was Jesus' suffering that was foretold in the scroll, but it was suffering with and for the world. So it was the eunuch suffering, and it was Philip's too. Jesus was there for them, even in that. And yet they also would have read in Isaiah that by his wounds we are healed. That's in the same chapter, a mysterious, hopeful word. By his wounds we are healed? Could it be? Could there be healing after so much pain? Could life start anew? That was the conversation as they rode along, gathered by the Spirit in the presence of Christ, pondering the word. They rode along. They rode as equals, teaching and learning from one another, side by side. They looked toward salvation. They dared to hope in resurrection. And in such a moment, the church is within reach. At least that's how I interpret the building on the horizon of the painting. I think it's the church coming into view. It might even be the kingdom. The evangelism that builds the church and tends toward the kingdom, that kind of evangelism is a particular thing. I think that's what this story and its hidden figures, Philip and the eunuch, I think it's what they show us. We can see in their story that evangelism is led by God. Philip was not on an egoistic quest to save as many souls as possible. He was simply attentive and obedient to God. He was unafraid when God led him toward an unusual stranger in a wilderness place. We can see in this story that evangelism is, more than anything, being with others. Philip didn't wave the Bible around. Philip didn't pose intimidating questions, where will you spend eternity? Philip and the eunuch connected over the Bible. And it must have been one of the best road trip conversations ever. You know the kind. The kind of conversation where you both feel known and you both feel seen and you both feel loved. Evangelism. Finally, this story shows us that evangelism is an encounter with Christ for all involved. And like any encounter with Christ, it is transformative for all involved. This is so evident in the way the story ends. The story ends when the eunuch saw a pool of water by the side of the road. And he asked Philip, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And the answer seems to be nothing. Nothing. Where the grace of God is flowing free, nothing can stop it. But of course, in that moment, Philip could have said something. Philip was the one in a position to perform the baptism. He could just as easily have prevented it. This is the moment when fear and doubt could have crept in. 
what if the voice I heard this morning wasn't God? What am I doing here? What if it's not okay to baptize a foreigner? What if it's not okay to baptize a eunuch? It hasn't been done before. What if one Bible study isn't enough? Does he really know Jesus? But you know, I imagine that as they walked down into that water, both of them together, those voices of fear and doubt were stilled. And when they came up out of the water, they came up out of the water together. And that was when the Spirit showed up. The Spirit showed up, and that was God's powerful word of yes. God said yes to this new, inclusive, and accepting love. And that was the gospel that Philip and the eunuch took with them. That's the gospel that they proclaimed for miles around. At the end of the day, they were both changed men. Friends, today I believe the Spirit may be issuing us a challenge. If evangelism is led by God, if evangelism is mostly about being with, and if evangelism changes us, then it is going to be hard for us. Because most of us would rather chart our own course than be led. We would rather do than be. And we would rather not change all that much. Still the world is crying out for the love of God. And as God's people, we cannot say no. We are called. We are called to walk out into the wilderness. We are called to catch up to the ones who have been cast out. To approach them humbly. To listen before we speak of God. We are called to wade into the waters together and to be changed in Christ as we are made one. As a church, we have to ask the Spirit, where to next? Where is the Spirit calling us to show up? With whom are we called to be? Perhaps you will find yourself called to the hospital bedside. Perhaps you'll be bold enough to join in on a mission trip. Maybe you'll show up at HEB on Blue Bag Sunday. Perhaps your feet will take you to the front door of an elderly neighbor or down a makeshift path to the village of tents in the woods. Where to next? Lately, my own heart has felt a tug toward the border. That horrifying picture that's been in the news this week won't leave my mind. That father and daughter. I think it's because of all the moms and dads and kids that I met when I was at the Humanitarian Respite Center in McAllen last month. I just keep thinking how it could have been any of them if they'd made different choices, if they'd tried the river instead of the bridge. I keep thinking about this one afternoon at the respite center when several of us from this church were working in the clothing distribution space. One by one, families seeking refuge in this country from violence in their own. One by one, these families would come through for socks and underwear, pants and a t-shirt. 
Nothing much. It was just something fresh to wear for the journey ahead after so many months on the road. This one little girl, she couldn't have been more than three years old, and she came in screaming in tears the way three-year-olds sometimes do. She was holding her father's hand. I saw her tears, and I did what any one of you would do. I got down on her level, and even though I was a stranger, she rushed into my arms. I looked up at her dad to check that that was okay, and he looked so relieved because for just a moment he could look through the clothes and pick out what he needed. And so I held her and I bounced her on my knee until the tears were gone. I said it would be okay. And I helped her to pick out socks for her dad. It wasn't anything really, except that now we were smiling. It wasn't anything so special except that we hugged goodbye. Maybe it wasn't evangelism. We didn't get the Bibles out, and they were probably Christians already. But friends, it sure did feel like we were sharing the good news. And maybe, by the grace of God, that can happen more often. Where to next? Will you pray with me? Holy One, by your Spirit you have gathered us. Into the silence of our hearts you speak, you equip us with all that we need, and you send us out again. May we hear your call to us this week and in the time to come. May we go where we are sent and have the courage to be where we are. May we be open to others more than we are now. Oh, Spirit, we could always be more open. And may we be willing to change for the sake of love so that by your grace, little by little, the good news may get out. Clear every doubt and fear that would prevent it, Lord, for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.